knew that as a single practice, as a smaller private practice, we weren't going to be able to do it all. I mean, the regulations alone and the negotiations with the insurance companies and the uh, training that you and I, as two of the partners who did that here in the office, knew that we needed help. Welcome back to The Break Room. I am your host, Alexis Murray, and thank you for joining us for episode 14. Healthcare today often feels like out with the old, in with the new. Electronic health records have replaced paper records. Urgent care centers and retail clinics have become a popular choice for primary care services. Patients don't need to call their doctor's offices anymore to schedule an appointment with the prominence of online scheduling. In fact, patients don't even need to go into their doctor's office to seek care with the availability of virtual health. And many of them are choosing Uber to avoid the high cost of an ambulance. Amidst all of this change, one thing seems to remain constant, the patient-provider relationship. And while this relationship is certainly not immune to the shifts happening around it, in fact, it has to remain increasingly flexible in our digital world, the importance of this relationship feels ever-present. We sat down with a group of providers to talk about the current state of healthcare, their hopes and hangups, and what they've learned from the patient-provider relationship over the years. And we've compiled those stories to create the heart of healthcare. In today's installment of Heart of Healthcare, we're joined by Dr. Anita Flower and Dr. Elizabeth Flynn from Manassas Pediatrics. They're gonna talk in depth about the physician-patient relationship, what they've learned from the patients that they've cared for, and what keeps them grounded in our dynamic healthcare industry. Please check out all of the other stories from Privia Physicians in our Heart of Healthcare campaign at priviamedicalgroup.com slash heart. My name is Beth Flynn, and I am a pediatrician with Manassas Pediatrics. I joined Manassas Pediatrics in 1997 when I finished my residency, so I just celebrated my 21-year anniversary with Manassas Pediatrics, and I have known Anita for that whole time. Yes, I'm Dr. Anita Flower. I've been with Manassas Pediatrics actually since 1989, um, when I also finished my residency. So both, you know, Dr. Flynn and I had very similar experiences. We both did our residency, although obviously at different times. We both did it at Children's Hospital in, in Washington, D.C., and we're both recruited to, you know, work out here in the um, Prince William County area of Virginia after our residency was over. And we have enjoyed it so much that we have been here that whole time. So I've been here now 29 years. And, and Beth, my colleague, Dr. Flynn, has been here 21, as she said. And it's definitely been, um, you know, I love being a pediatrician. And it's great to work in a big group. It's been, you know, actually really nice to be part of Privia as well for the last three years. And uh, we've you know, you know, enjoy our working relationship, I think, on a daily basis. And we talk a lot, you know, especially, you know, like right now we're, you know, just chatting about what in our childhood brought us to pediatrics and medicine and, and our experiences. Did you always know you wanted to be a pediatrician? No, actually, I didn't even think I wanted to go to medical school or become a physician because no one in my family was a physician. I actually, you know, come from a family, um, you know, my parents were the first in their family to go to college, but they were college educated. They were English majors, and my dad was an English teacher, but he always loved working with kids. And even though he taught high school level kids, he was always so involved with everything I did with my activities and with the neighbor kids. And he was just very hands-on kind of parent. So I just 
because of him too. I mean, I just liked being with, you know, kids and interacting with children. And it wasn't until I was in college and realized how much I really liked science that I decided, hey, I can go to medical school and, and work with kids there. And that's when I decided to be a pediatrician. Mm. And I think you've told me you always wanted to be one, right? No. No? I oh, always okay. wanted to be a doctor. Right. Okay. Um, from kindergarten on, I always wanted to be a doctor. My mom was really sick when I was little and spent a lot of time in and out of hospitals. So, uh, And she also worked in the medical field, not as a doctor, but she worked in the medical field. And so medicine was always part of our lives. Um, and I wanted to be a doctor. I did not want to be a pediatrician because they get <laughs> called in the middle of the night. I actually wanted to be an eye doctor. And then in um, my third year of medical school, I did my pediatric re uh, rotation at the end of my third year. And I loved it. I had always said, I do not want to be a pediatrician. They get called in the middle of the night. Um, but I loved it and immediately changed all of my applications for residency, which I had already started applying for ophthalmology, changed them to pediatrics and never looked back. Mm -hmm. um, I love working with kids. And if I've had people ask me, what would you do if you weren't a uh, pediatrician? I say a first grade teacher. I love that age, that age when they're starting to read and write and discover things and um, really see them starting to understand the world um, and we get to see all ages here but um, that is one of my favorite ages and I think being a pediatrician there's a lot of education that goes into be a pediatrician I mean we're teaching adolescents how to take care of themselves and pre-adolescents how to take care of themselves and but a teaching, lot of parents yeah. we teaching the parents yeah uh, yeah we we do a lot of educating and I think again like you said you would have wanted to be a teacher maybe and I always thought you know maybe I'd be a teacher as well because my dad was a teacher mm -hmm. and that you know educating a people is so important yeah. and you really do feel like you make a difference in people's Absolutely. lives when you teach them how to, you know, help their children and take care of their children. And, and they teach us things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like I, you learn a lot from your patients? Too? I have learned a lot from my patients along the way in many different ways. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes um, how to care for my own kids um, and how to, um, you know, care for ourselves as parents and working parents. I think that my patients have taught me that along the way, at, in addition to my wonderful colleagues that were all working moms when I when I joined mm -hmm. the practice and I didn't have kids. But the um, they teach us um, every day, the kids, you know, if, even if it's not something concrete, they teach us. Or just the parent will mention, well, we've tried this new medicine, you know, have you heard of it? Or homeopathic thing, you know, especially with the internet now and people Googling and looking up how to take care of themselves yeah. and they'll ask us about things. So it gives us an opportunity too to learn about things that our patients may be reading about that we don't always have, you know, the opportunity to learn about because it's not in standard medical literature. So we do learn that from our patients. Yeah. Um, well, recently my daughter left for um, college for the first time and how my um, patients, um, the week before she left, um, all the patients knew my daughter was leaving for college. <laughs> Apparently I talked about it a lot. And then when they came back in, everyone asking me how I was holding up and, uh, and uh, patients giving me tips on, you know, 
don't turn around when you say goodbye. Just walk away. And that sounds like dropping off for kindergarten. <laughs> I know. It's the same. It was worse, mm-hmm. though, because she didn't come home at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so the patients, you know, they do teach us um, a, a lot. But they also make it fun. I think that that's the one thing about pediatrics that I like. Yes, we give um, bad news sometimes. Um, and we have difficult patients and who have difficult family situations and difficult health um, challenges. Um, the beauty of being a child is that they're so resilient and they um, they can come through things so much stronger than the than than us and they can make you smile you know they jump off the table and start a dance and <laughs> they wear pigtails on the top of their heads that just make you smile <laughs> and that's so much better than taking care of ourselves yes, I had a five-year-old in today <laughs> I had a five-year-old in earlier today who was so proud of the outfit she chose to wear. And the mother's like, yes, her shirt has stripes, her skirt has flowers, but that's what she wanted to wear. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. You know, that's, you know, we give, we always tell our patients, you know, let them, let kids have choices where there are choices. And if it's not a big deal, don't sweat those type of things. And, and that's what I think, and, and probably you too, Beth, have learned as a parent yourself. And that's where the wisdom we have gotten from being parents has helped us with our patients. Yeah, because of those things, we realize what's really a big deal and right. what's really not a big deal and helping well, our parents get over those kind of, th- and this mom was fine with that outfit, but sometimes parents are like very uptight about those things yeah. and we, we have to help them realize this is not a big deal. Your child is being independent and thinking herself. Well, both you and I started our practice here with not having children and that um, and went through residency without having children. And I can definitely think that my street cred got better once I had kids here. You know, I think that the parents kind of would ask you about behavior and then you they would you would say something from the textbook because you were young and just out of residency. Mm-hmm. And they would say, well, do you have kids? And you said, no. And they would kind of look at you like, you have no idea what you're talking about. So being a parent, definitely not saying you have to be a parent to be a good pediatrician, but it has definitely helped mm-hmm. me along the way. And don't you think also, you know, being a parent gives you a new perspective on how our parent, the parents, you know, and kids we see, you know, what their expectations from us are or what their needs, like, I feel like I can meet their needs or, or view their needs in a different way. Like for instance, when they suddenly call us and that, with that panicked phone call, the sports tryouts, you know, for football or tomorrow, we didn't realize we needed a sports form. And I used to think, how do parents not realize this? And then when my own daughter did that to me, and I luckily had my great colleague, Dr. Flynn here, who quickly signed off on my daughter's sports form <laughs> because she did the same thing. And I realized, oh, that's what happens. You know, your kid is texting you from school saying, you know what, I think I do want to be on the softball team. I need that physical form by Monday. And it's now Friday afternoon. So I kind of realized how parents, you know, don't always know because their kids don't always know. They don't know they might want to try out for a sport. And and I think, you know, the viewpoint I had when my kids were little or before I had children was, well, suck it up or, you know, that's too bad. Maybe next year. But now that you're a parent, you realize this is really important to my kid. And not only is it important to the kids, it's important to the parent because the parent wants their kid playing a sport now too. And, And you definitely have that different view on it that you know, I it, think it changes now that you see yeah. that you've gone through that or mm-hmm. or like when the people rush in as soon as their kid has a fever and you think, why are they here so quickly? And you realize 
parent is a single parent, they need to get back to work tomorrow. Yeah. And if it's something they can treat, they'd rather get their kid in. Right. Whereas we really know medically, it's better to wait a few days. So if since you've learned all this along the way, what would you want to tell them? If you could get anyone, everyone in a room, what is your your message to our patients and families? I think that's hard to answer because I think everyone is so unique that, you know, I think, you know, when you look at maybe our mission statement and what we try to achieve as pediatricians, you know, to, you know, help actually promote preventive medicine here and promote healthy living, healthy lifestyles. That could be a message I would think um, to talk to parents about and to talk about how we are here to meet their needs and to what, you know, to help them raise their children basically. But I'm not sure I have an exact, me- I mean, do you, can you think of any medical message you would maybe give to a whole room? I don't have necessarily a medical message, but I think that I'm at an advantage because I was asked this question uh, mm-hmm. a couple months ago by by someone is that I feel that so many of our young parents um, have so many influences around them on the internet and um, the TV and the computer and Facebook that um, they are, doubt themselves a lot. And I think mm-hmm. that I would want to tell them all to stop doubting themselves and they are doing a good job because there's so much around them telling them that they're not doing it right you know they're not breastfeeding right they're not bottle feeding they're not using the right formula or they're not uh taking them to the right tutoring or going to the right soccer club and that it's okay you know Mm -hmm. that it the choices that you make Mm -hmm. may seem huge for the moment but in the end, as long as you're there for your kid, you love them, you take care of them, um, you're gonna you're gonna be okay. And um, turn turn that's off the That's a great answer. That that's really that it does sum it up pretty well. I think you're right that parents are doing a good job. And I know I remember from my residency training, probably, I think it goes back that far that they taught us to remind parents or to at least give positive reinforcement to parents. It's like what we do with two-year-olds and we tell them they're going, doing mm-hmm. a good job and catching them being good. We tell parents to do that with their two-year-olds. But it's true for every, you know for us to do that with the parents too, to say you are doing a good job and to leave the, you know, the visit with the parent and saying, you know, this, your child looks so healthy, you're doing a great job. And I always remember that phrase. In today's society, I think we hear the negative a lot more, mm-hmm. um, especially if you turn on the news or you, you know, go on some of these um, information sites for parents mm-hmm. and they feel like they're doing a bad job. And that can be really demoralizing. Being a parent is hard. We need to support them. And yes. They, well, I think. And each other. <laughs> I think why it's become so hard is because all those things you had named earlier about social media and the pressure to do well in a competitive school district. And, and it is hard. And, um, and I, I often go back and it, I've been thinking of this as we've been talking, um, my favorite word to use with parents and with kids is try. We all have to just try. We can't always be our best. We try, we try to eat healthy. We try to, you know, limit, you know, what our kids are exposed to. We try to keep them off the internet too much. We try to limit the, you know, we are not always going to be perfect because we're humans. Right. So it always goes back to that, that favorite word of mine, try. And then when, when it comes to those two, it it leads to stress for parents thinking that they're not doing a good job is that because they're told, you know, 
this is how much of this and this is how much of that and how much and they need to be eating this and they need to be going to bed at that time and you're right they have to try mm -hmm. and sometimes it's just the small things mm -hmm. try one thing we often at the end of a well check i said we went over a ton of information here let's try to pick two things or three mm -hmm. things that we're going to focus on mm -hmm. and let's do that first if that helps then we can add add new things and mm -hmm. once that becomes your habit then it won't be as as difficult um but try is a really good word i yes. like that um so. so what do you worry about what, what keeps you up at night nothing <laughs> <laughs> what keeps you up at night dr flynn yeah. i don't know i think i just worry just like our parents worry like did i do a good job today mm -hmm. you know did i make a difference did i help somebody um, most days I leave work thinking I did. Sometimes I walk out of an appointment and I think, God, that went great. Mm. Um, and other times, you know, the moment I walk in the room, I'm like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> um, and that, mm. you know, worries me. Like, what could I have done better? How could I have done better? Mm. The, the meat and potatoes of it, I think after 21 years, I got most of it down. Um, yeah, but, but it's, it's true. The relationships. I, yeah. I think know? we sometimes do, you know, we're very hard on ourselves. Absolutely. And I think certainly, and it fortunately has not happened to me recently. And maybe it is just from the experience and, and knowing how to handle things. But I know my early years, if I felt like something didn't go right or, you know, the patient got sicker, had to go to the ER, those are the kind of things that kept me up at night and worried me that, you know, what should I have done differently or, you know, what could I have done better? Or, you know, we know some things are just going to happen no matter what. And mm. it's not anything we had control over. But those are the things I would get very upset about. Um, and I can think back on one patient who had um, that myocarditis of his heart. And I know I handled it right, but it still was so hard to know how sick. I mean, fortunately, he survived, but it, he was so sick mm. and got worse after I saw him. And that was the natural progression of the virus affecting his heart and it wasn't I knew something wasn't right it, but it was just not as obvious you know when I saw him compared to when the ER saw him and then you feel like what did I miss what did I, and it's very that we beat ourselves up a lot because yeah. you know being a doctor we're we're in charge you know yeah. and we expect the best of ourselves and it's not always going to happen and that's hard that is very hard and and you're right but I think through the years, I've learned that medicine is an art based on science, and I'm not always going to get it right because I'm human. Mm -hmm. But if I know that I did my best, like we you try, right? We try. we try to do our back best. Back to trying, right? Back, back try to, to do our best. And the great thing is that we have, you know, our colleagues here that we work together with so well that I can say, hey, Beth, can you take a look at this rash? I'm not sure if it's something I need to worry about, or I just want another set of eyes on it. And we have that good collegial mm. working relationship with all of us here. And we know who to call if we, you know, be outside of our practice, if we need help. What do you think you'd change if we could change anything with healthcare in this country? If I had to change anything would be access, um, mm -hmm. universal access, that's mm -hmm. easy. Right now, it's so hard for some parents to access their system. They have a high deductible, and they say, well, where can I go get this x-ray? And that's just another layer. Privia has made that a lot easier by um, using our electronic medical record. They put, uh, we know the tiers and who is who is a more economical provider mm -hmm. of a service. But without that, 
it's hard to think about where can you go and who can mm-hmm. I go to and how much is this going to cost? And if it's a medicine that they need, I hate that I have to consider that. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I really don't like that I have to think about, well, this is the best one, but you can't get mm-hmm. it because you can't afford it because either you don't have insurance or you don't mm-hmm. have access to. Um, right. And, and, and people with insurance, you know, they might have good insurance for their drug plan. They might have bad insurance though for seeing a specialist and it's never all or, I mean, well, some people have good insurance no matter what, but you know, there's sometimes, like you said, so many layers to it. And that's where I think, at least for kids, you know, having that, you know, a universal health plan for kids might be the way things should go in the future. I don't know. I'm not a policy expert, but it would certainly make our jobs easier in some ways. I certainly wouldn't want to be paid the Medicare rates for things because we only deal with children. So at least when you're dealing with adults, not all of your patients are Medicare. It's just like we do accept Medicaid in our practice and they don't pay that well. I think they pay even less than Medicare, but at least it's offset by the patients with private insurance. Um, So there has to be that kind of formula for how a primary care practice can still operate. And I worry sometimes, it doesn't keep me awake at night, but it, I do worry that the off, the primary care offices are going to be a dinosaur soon. You know, they're going to be a thing of the past. They're going to be obsolete as more of these urgent care places try to vie for you know, more patients, more revenue by saying we're offering well child visits now. We're offering, you know, the adult, you know, annual visit or you know, we're doing your sports physicals and they're really trying to take over some of that role and not just the like minute clinic at CVS or patient first type of models, but even the big hospital systems like Inova in the Northern Virginia area have primary care clinics that they're operating and advertising and they have more revenue at their disposal or more um, funds at their disposal to advertise those things and to then draw people in. Which was one of the reasons why we went with Privia so that we can mm-hmm. have access more to their marketing and their um funds, I guess, to help us get our name out there and to be able to compete in Mm -hmm. a system that in an area where um, the uh, some of the private hospitals are reaching out and the urgent cares are taking Mm -hmm. over for a a lot of that. Right. Um, So that's something. Yeah, I, I do worry about that. And of course, I'm a little closer to retirement age than you are, Beth. But it's something we, you know, worry about. You know, this is an area where as a doctor, you usually don't have to worry because there's always a need for doctors. But True. we own our practice here. We own the building that we work in. You know, we have a lot invested, but, you know, you know, beyond what we paid for medical school, of course, but, you know, just the day-to-day stuff that we, you know, have to, you know, we have to see patients to be viable here. And if a lot of people start thinking, well, you know, it's uh, my kid just has a cough or cold or sore throat and I can just run to urgent care. Well, if they're not supporting us by coming in for those kind of visits and they're just showing up for their checkups, we may not be able to continue to provide any services if we're not taking care of all their needs. Well, and that's, you know, that was played a big role in why we joined Privia yeah. three yes. years ago was because we knew that as a single practice, as a small, smaller private practice, we weren't going to be able to do it all. I mean, the regulations mm-hmm. alone and the negotiations with the insurance companies mm-hmm. and the uh, training that you mm-hmm. and I as to 
of the partners who did that here in the office knew that we needed help. And yes, I absolutely agree. And I think it has been a very good arrangement. And I have felt very positive for the most part about our relationship with Privia because it has taken away some of those responsibilities we were dealing with. And you and I are really the managing partners of this practice on a day-to-day basis, making a lot of those decisions about our medical record system and our computers and, and, you know, contracting with insurance companies. And it's a lot of work and I'd rather focus on patient care. Absolutely. You know, I agree. Because that's what I do and you do best. Yes. And, and that's where we, that's what we should be doing. <laughs> yes. So I, I agree. It has definitely helped me and I'd rather, you know, be part of a big group that helps with those kind of functions. So we don't have to do it. That's something that's unique about Privia is that we are part of a big group and we can refer within our group, um, not as much with pediatrics as with maybe some of the adult specialties and stuff, but we have the resources available to us um, through Privia that we didn't have um, with just being smaller on our own yet. We can still decide what hours were open, decide what provider is available when, and hire our employees and pay our employees. And so we haven't lost our individual Manassas pediatric identity, yet we are a part of the bigger group. So it's kind of been a really good thing for Manassas I think it's a good relationship because you're right. You know, we as doctors especially don't like to give up our independence and our autonomy and and the ability to control things. I, I don't think I would like to lose that control and work for a hospital system. And, and, and again, we feel like they are our patients. This is, you know, you know, they're, you know, who we take care of because this is our group. It, it definitely allows us to do what we want to do, but then still have control over the things we want to control. And the patients come to Manassas Pediatrics for us, not mm-hmm. for Privia. So it's still there as part of us, but helping us run a more efficient Manassas Pediatrics. So Anita, mm-hmm. this was so nice after working with you for so long to get to know more about your decisions behind becoming a pediatrician. Yeah, so it's good to hear what you say, because I'm learning from you too. I like some of the phrasing you had with, you know, what you talk to patients about and, and it's fun. You know, I know you've taken care of my kids many times and I thank you for that. And you mine. Mm-hmm. We're lucky. Uh, We're lucky here at Manassas Pediatrics yes. because we do have a good working relationship with everyone. Um, we, we do in our, you know, our kids feel very comfortable here. And I know your children well. You know my kids. And yeah. thank you again for signing Sarah's softball um, sports physical 10 years ago. And thank you for not touching Maggie's, uh, yeah. Maggie's college room. Yes. <laughs> thank you for listening in. And thank you to Dr. Flower and Dr. Flynn for sitting down to talk about what they've learned during their time as physicians. Please check out our other physician stories featured in our new campaign, Heart of Healthcare, at priviamedicalgroup.com slash heart. Once again, that is priviamedicalgroup.com slash heart. You can subscribe to future episodes or check out past episodes at go.priviahealth.com slash the break room. You can also find the break room on iTunes. So please subscribe, rate this episode and leave a review. If you have any questions or want to learn more about how we're putting independent physicians back in the driver's seat of healthcare, please contact the Privia team at 888-996-0232.